I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've looked at the last part of chapter 3 in three different parts. Today, coming to a most fitting passage on Christ and his exaltation and a message entitled, The Savior of the World. Just a little bit of review. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy at Ephesus, and he was writing so people would know how to conduct themselves in the church as members of God's church. The church is to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. I gave you a definition of truth, and that is truth is that which corresponds to reality. It's what is real. Jesus, in his incarnation, revealed the truth, taught the truth, and he also sets us free through the truth. And we as the church, meaning all believers, have the earthly responsibility to hold firmly to the truth, what we know is right and real, to put that truth on display so all the world can see it and hear about Jesus, and then to support and defend the truth. And now we come to 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, and here's what the Word of God says. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. These verses comprise what I think was an early church hymn. And in this early church hymn, it serves as a summary of the life of Jesus. There are six lines in this hymn that we're going to work our way through for just a few moments together. Line number one is that the Savior was manifested in the flesh. Now, a mystery referred to something that at one time had been hidden, but is now revealed to God's people. So it's an unveiling of sorts, not intended to be a permanent mystery, but a progressive revelation of the truth. And the mystery of godliness refers to the incarnate Christ. In fact, we have this definition in Colossians 2 and verse 2 and 3, where Paul writes, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order, listen to this, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We come to know God not mainly by human reason, but through the revelation that God has given of himself to us in Jesus. So I would say it this way. Jesus revealed what perfect godliness is. God dwelling and living in us and through us. As the church, we are indwelled by Christ, and then we are to reflect him to the world. The text reminds us uh, even of the eternal preexistence of Jesus, because it states that he was manifested or revealed in the flesh. So he was not a created being. He has always been. But he made himself known in the fullness of time, and he came forth born of the virgin. Now, the word incarnation means the act of being made flesh. 
It comes from the Latin version of John 1 and verse 14, which reads in English, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The incarnation is the proof that God keeps his promises. The Old Testament is filled with messianic prophecies. There are 61 central messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And beyond these 61 main messianic prophecies, there are allusions dozens upon dozens to the coming of the Messiah, that God in the incarnation would come to earth in the person of Christ. And the purpose for his coming would be to save his people from their sins. So that the word became flesh to save us from our sins, it's the very heart of the Christian faith. It's the heart of what we understand and believe. Line two is that the Savior was vindicated in the Spirit. The word vindicated means justified or to clear from accusation or to be proven as real or true. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was to declare Jesus as the righteous one by attesting to his deity. And the main way that he would attest to his deity would be through the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was vindicated in the sense that the resurrection upheld his claim and provided evidence that he was, in fact, the Son of God. He was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. At the baptism of Jesus, he was declared to be the Son of God. In his life in public ministry, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. And at the cross, if Jesus had been a sinner, he would have had to have died for his own sins. And God would not have raised him from the dead. But in the cross, he died for our sins. And he was vindicated and declared to be who he is through the power of the resurrection. And then after his death on the cross, the Holy Spirit declared Jesus to be the Son of God by raising him from the dead, proving that he is the righteous one. Romans 1 in verse 3 and 4 says, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection vindicated the claims of who Jesus is. Line number three is that the Savior was seen by angels. Angels, as the ministering spirits created by God, had a special interest in the Savior from his conception to his ascension. The ministry of angels can be found throughout the life of Jesus. And the fact of the role of the angels is also a testimony to his deity. It was an angel who predicted the birth of the Savior. Angels proclaimed his birth to the shepherds. Angels were present at the birth of the Savior. An angel warned Joseph about Herod's plot to kill the Savior. Angels ministered to him after his temptation in the wilderness. An angel strengthened him in his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Angels were at the ready and could have been summoned in an instant at the betrayal of the Savior. Angels rolled the stone from the tomb and proclaimed his resurrection from the dead. 
angels were present and addressed the disciples at his ascension. And angels will be with him at his second coming. And angels will execute judgment under the direction of the Savior. The nature of the angels and their ministry around the life of Jesus points us to who he is as the Savior of the world. Line number four, the Savior is to be preached among the nations. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus made it clear the message of salvation is for all nations. This word preached means the heralding of a message. It's the proclamation of a message for all to hear. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20. So we say today on this Christmas day that there is only one message of salvation, and that is found in Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now, I think when I look at the life of the apostle Paul, he was a man who desired to make Jesus known and to proclaim him, to preach him, to herald him as faithfully as he possibly could. And he did it through many personal trials and tribulations, through hardships and through opposition and through everything that life could throw at him and everything that the enemy could throw at him. He was determined to make Christ known. And he did it with a sense of urgency. And that's why when he writes to Timothy here, he's speaking of a sense of urgency, of the proclamation of the gospel. I read a story a few years ago, a true story about a bad winter storm that rolled over Birmingham, Alabama. The date was January the 28th of 2014. There was a medical doctor, and I'll refer to him by his first name as Dr. Zinko, who heard that a patient at Trinity Medical Center had taken a turn for the worse. The patient needed surgery, and there was no other surgeon available except this doctor. Without this surgery, the patient stood a 90% chance of dying. Driving wasn't an option because of the snow and ice. Emergency personnel were tied up with the traffic and all that had been snarled because of the winter weather. So the 62-year-old doctor faced these brute facts, and he decided that he was going to take action. He puts on his coat over his hospital scrubs, and he starts walking six miles from the Brookwood Medical Center to the Trinity Medical Center. Along the way, he fell and he rolled down a hill, but he got back up. He even helped some drivers who were stuck in the snow. And he finally arrived at Trinity and he performed the surgery, which probably saved the patient's life. In a news conference a little bit later, his efforts were praised and the doctor wondered what all the fuss was about. And he said, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Any good doctor would have done the same thing. The patient was dying and that wasn't going to happen on my shift. But a hospital official said the doctor was being quite modest. Keith Granger, Trinity Medical Center CEO said, it was not just a walk in the park. Given the conditions, the temperatures and the terrain, it was a remarkable feat and a mental feat. And we have an individual alive today who would not be here if it were not for the doctor's efforts. 
Now, as urgent as that medical, physical situation was, there is nothing more urgent than making Christ known. Because eternity hangs in the balance. And if this good news, this gift, is for all to receive, then we should want to freely share it. We should want to give it away. We should want to make him known. And that's why we emphasize the importance of personally sharing the gospel and us proclaiming the gospel as a church. That's why we emphasize the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions as we have during these weeks of Christmas. That Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions supports some 3,650 missionaries. Did you know that last year alone, they engaged 93 new people groups? Among the work, 107,701 people were baptized and 22,744 new churches were started. We believe that there is urgency to the message that we need to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Line number five, the Savior is to be believed on in the world. Now, this statement complements the one that we just considered. In fact, the fifth line declares the result of the fourth. Paul wrote back in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I am the chief. The only way to salvation is to receive the gift of eternal life by faith. And if I had nothing else to tell you on this Christmas day, I would want you to hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That there is a Savior who lived and died and now lives again, and he invites you to trust him by faith. And to believe in Jesus is to believe that he is God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he fulfilled the law of God, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. So I ask you, is your faith in Jesus as your Savior? If it's not, it can be today. If you'd simply be willing to repent and believe and receive him into your life as Savior and Lord. Line number six, the Savior of the world was taken up in glory. Now the hymn could not close more suitably than with the Messiah's exalted entry into the heavenly sphere. The Savior ascended into heaven in his resurrection body. And I want to remind you that he even today, retains the marks of his finished work on the cross. He is 100% God, and he is 100% man, and he is eternally so. And this hymn packs a lot of truth into not that many words. The incarnation, life, death, resurrection, great commission, and ascension of our Lord. And now I read Revelation 21 and verse 3 before I close this message. A look to the future of what's to come because of Jesus. Listen to this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. It has been said, he came to our place, he took our place, and he invites us back to his place. That's the message of Christmas. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Almighty God, as we bow before you in these moments, we thank you once again for the blessing that we've had to gather here together, to bow our heads and our hearts before you and to proclaim that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We thank you for the lines of this old hymn that are recorded here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We thank you for the truths that are contained there of who Jesus is and what he has done. And today, Jesus, we exalt you as king. We recognize that you are the only one who can save us from our sins. And that in grace and mercy, you came to us when we could not come to you. We thank you that you left the glory of heaven and came to the mess of this world so that we might experience forgiveness, love, eternal life, and hope. We look forward to that Revelation 21 time when we will dwell with you and you will dwell with us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have gone to prepare a place for us. And if you've gone to prepare a place for us, you will come again and receive us to yourself that we're you are, there we may be also. So bless each family, bless each individual uh, who is recognizing Jesus uh, as the Savior and Lord today. And I pray that this will be a special Christmas as we experience your peace that is beyond what our human words can even fully describe. And Father, I pray if there be even one person who would say today, I know that I'm not a Christian. I know that I've not been saved. I know that I've not trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive me and to save me. I pray they would today. I pray they'd not let another moment go by without saying yes to Jesus. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.